everybody and welcome to Ars Arcanum, uh, a Brandon Sanderson Cosmere podcast. Um, I am Autumn and I am joined by Mark. Hi, I'm Mark. Uh, Nora is out today because she is very sick. Um, she was just coughing on me. That's not true. She was not doing that. Um, but yeah, so we're going to just carry on without her and she'll be back next episode. And yeah. Yeah, it would be totally... Uh like un- unkind unfair to make someone talk about Elantris uh while Z is sick <laughs> um Mark have you read any books uh since our last episode no I've been fucking busy applying for jobs uh, I've been busy working job so <laughs> yeah, yeah I've just been I have been reading uh my own cover letters where I explain what the great customer service higher i would be <laughs> <laughs> yeah i um the little bit of free time i've had has all been like podcast stuff lately and so yeah i just have not i did read while standing at the bus stop the last two days i have read the first five chapters of moby dick but oh. um yeah but uh, I haven't had a lot that I've thought about it so far because I'd already read three of those chapters before. So I'm only just now getting into like stuff that I haven't read. And I'm going to like listen along. I'm figuring out when I'm going to mix ep- episodes of whale statements in because I don't want to just keep jumping back and forth. But also mm. like sometimes I don't understand shit and I need, <laughs> I need you and Ben to like help me out a little bit. So Aww, well, that's what we're here <laughs> for. Um yeah, uh, I feel like uh, if you are ever, like, just straight up confused by, if you're just like, what did he mean by this? About, like, some sentence, or it seems like he's making a reference to something you don't understand. You can just ask me about that. And yeah. by the way, that's a general offer to listeners. If you are ever confused by something <laughs> in Moby Dick, you may at me on Twitter. I give you permission. Um, <laughs> Um, but yeah, um, we don't have a ton of book stuff, uh, uh, here at the top anyway, so I guess we'll, uh, get into talking about fucking Elantris, which is a wild <sighs> ride this week. <laughs> I mean, yeah, it, you know, I think as far as, uh, weeks of Elantris go, this was kind of in the middle, like, there were, there were a number of plot twists, Definitely, like, shit is happening now in a way that it wasn't for a long time. Mm-hmm. And there's some, like, exhausting shit, like there always is. I rolled um, my eyes at some stuff. I shouted yo when a big thing happened. Um, you know. But there wasn't anything. <laughs> I, I was thinking to myself, how is Raiden going to top the completely 
awful shit he did last time, and I don't think he really did. No. Uh, <laughs> um, speaking of Raiden, I'll just read the summary here. Uh, pretty short it. chapter for Raiden this week. Uh, Raiden suffers an overwhelming wave of pain and sensed a presence in the back of his mind that was trying to find an outlet for a vast amount of pressure buildup. Raiden lost consciousness briefly and wakes to find Galadon and Karada. Raiden explains how the pain affects him in waves instead of being constant. Karada tells Raiden that he was glowing while unconscious, and that Raiden thinks the door was trying to use him as a channel. Um, they discuss the possibility that Hraithan's healing was a fraud. Um, so Raiden's uh, problem in this chapter continues to be that he's just too cool and yeah. too great, and the door is trying to like use him and making him glow because he's just the coolest guy and it's kind of it's kind of an interesting new thing that is happening in the book but it, i do just roll my eyes every time red is on screen <laughs> yeah i think it's you know we've known basically this whole time that of course this thing where Raiden believes that his pain is worse than everyone else's and that he must hide it to be, like, a powerful stoic prince or whatever. Like, we've always known it was going to turn out to, like, literally be true that Raiden's pain is worse and different and special um, and that mm -hmm. he really is, you know, bearing up under the strain better than everyone else somehow. Um, but it sucks because uh, it always made more sense if it was, like, just his belief about his own specialness that was making him suffer, you know? Um, but mm -hmm. no, it's literally just that the magic works different on him than it does on other people. Yeah. Um, and it's speculated that it's because he's uh, practicing with the Aeons every day, and it's just like, oh, because Raiden is smarter than everybody else, he has to suffer more. Uh, like, that's just what's happening here. I, I think <laughs> like, it's almost implied that it might be, like, even more of just sort of like an inborn virtuous thing than that because i mean yeah so so like you know uh after he has this collapse and he describes glowing and he also um describes that the pain comes to him in waves rather than being constant and karada and galadon are like uh that's not what it's like for us dude uh mm -hmm. it's, it's totally like it's it's just a constant thing of pain for us we don't have waves um which you know okay sure um Anyway, so so Galadon's kind of gloss on all this is, he says, Some people are closer to the door than others, Sewell, Galadon said. In Elantris, some people could create aeons much more powerful than others, and some seemed more intimate with the power. So, like, perhaps that just had to do with, in the past, Elantrians who studied the door more closely. But it sort of sounds from that just like some people could create more powerful aeons, as though just, like, some people had more natural talent and more like natural connection to the door. Right. Or even almost just like the door chose some people to be its more powerful vessels. Um, and I don't know if we're actually ever going to get like a, an explanation of like why Raiden is that vessel. It just sort of feels like he's special because he's special. It, yeah, it really feels like. Yeah, exactly what you're saying. It just feels like it is, um, Raiden is the cool guy, and because he is the cool guy, he gets to be the cool guy. 
you know? Mm-hmm. Um, and I, I'm also like very frustrated in this chapter as I have been in general by how many like leaps of logic I feel like are constantly being taken about what the door is and how it relates to Elantrians and how it relates to like the Elantrian magic that they could use through Aeons. Um, because like, uh, there's this bit where they're talking about like, okay, if the door keeps like doing this pressure on Rayadin, he's gonna succumb to the pain and become one of the Hoeid. Um, mm-hmm. And Rayadin says, the door will destroy me, ripping my soul apart in a futile attempt to break free. It isn't alive. It's just a force. And the fact that I'm not a viable passage won't stop it from trying. It's like, okay, um, citation for this claim. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. The, um, the, like, we're pretty used to in Raiden chapters, like these huge leaps of logic about what the door is and how it works. But this doesn't even feel like, oh, I read a book and the book compared the door to whatever or, like we've we've gotten the door as metaphor for like a river that is flowing before, but like, yeah, just none of this. Uh, this is just such a huge leap. <laughs> yeah, like the thing that really frustrates me about this is the insistence that the door is not alive, even though it is like a life force that exists everywhere, and then also the insistence that it is mindless. Um, even though it clearly is trying to do something. And in fact, in the passage where Raiden actually collapses, uh, literally sentences apart from each other, it says, it was not evil or even sentient. And then three sentences later, it wanted to move, to go anywhere, to find any release from the strain. <laughs> so like, does it want things or not? And Right. <laughs> And I feel, uh, like, to me, the answer to that is Rayadin shouldn't know whether it wants things or not. Rayadin is just experiencing an enormous pressure. Mm -hmm. And, you know, he has philosophical or or religious ideas about what the door is from what Galadon has told him about the Jesker understanding of this force. Like, Mm -hmm. the Jesker belief that the door is mindless and not does not have, like, a will, um, but is just a you know, a a force and a a power that exists everywhere. Um, But, yeah, just uh, frustrating. Yeah, it's just... Yeah, it's just frustrating that everything Raiden thinks is presented as a fact in this novel, (laughs) you know? (laughs) Yes. Um, uh, But that's kind of... This is a very short Raiden chapter. I don't know that I have more about this other than... I'm just rolling my eyes at every time that this person talks. <laughs> yeah. Serini. Yeah. Uh, Serini yeah. had a lot this week. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Uh, I think this is, this is going to be the bulk of the episode. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> All right. Uh, chapter 38. Serini, Lucal, and Shudin attend a sermon that Hraithen is giving to a, large, a huge crowd on the day of Iodon's funeral. They discuss the possibility of trickery regarding Hraithen's transformation and healing. Serini leads an honor guard to welcome Sainalan to Erelon, uh, which, that's the Pope. Mm-hmm. 
Serena and the nobles discuss Sanalan's appointment as head of their church as a counter to the raising of Wolfden to the head of the Fjordal religion. Royal speaks at Iodon's funeral, held in the throne room. Sanalan also speaks, revealing an agreement with Iodon's seal, decreeing that all noble titles are to be frozen, and that nobility will henceforth be based on inheritance and not wealth. <laughs> the funeral proceeds following Teo burial rites. Serini watches the burial, contemplating the important part Iodon will take in history books going forward. Serini prepares for her marriage to Royal by praying alone in the Karathi Chapel. She proceeds to the throne room for her wedding ceremony to be married to Royal with Omen officiating, despite the presence of their church leader. Her wedding is disrupted, as upon removal of her <laughs> bridal veil, it is discovered she has undergone the shade. I, I lost my mind when it happened. I lost my shit. Raven's so good. Yeah, it was we, good. We I should, um... Should talk about all the other bullshit in this chapter before we get to um uh Sereni being taken by the Sheod, but um or quote unquote. Mm-hmm. Um mm-hmm. but it's definitely the highlight of <laughs> it's the highlight of like the last three weeks of Elantris, I feel like. Like this is so good. <laughs> yeah, it's good. It's good. Um uh. Um So this is the chapter where, um, for me, all the stuff about Serene really not liking her Pope and really having an unclear relationship to her religion, um, really kind of makes the novel grind to a halt in a lot of ways. Mm. Because, um, I still other than he's kind of a dick, don't have a good grasp on, like, why Serini hates this guy so much. I mean, Um, (laughs) she doesn't like him because he's gay, I think. Yeah. (laughs) Uh, You know what? (sighs) Like, uh, so, so, uh, to be clear, it is not, like, said um, he is, like, attracted to other men. But, Mm -hmm. um, Something that is emphasized over and over when St. Alain shows up is how pretty he is and how, like, he has, like, a feminine beauty and he has these, like, long, luscious golden locks that, like, Serene is jealous of and she wishes she had hair like his. And it's just, like, it, and everyone talking about that definitely kind of implies, like, oh, this is sort of, like, weird and unseemly for a religious leader. Like, why is he so hot? Um, and it just, uh, it really comes across like the Pope is a twink and everyone thinks that is inappropriate. <laughs> it, re- it really, really does. Um, I was going to read a passage, but you, without even meaning to, you quoted it almost verbatim because it's like, he has delicate features, his has, has this long golden locks like that of a woman. And it's just like, so yeah, everybody just hates the femboy Pope. <laughs> Um, yeah. um, the other, there's other weird stuff about, like, um, Serini did her best to smile, curtsying before the patriarch and his quote-unquote old eyes. Um, Sinalan was no more than 40, though he tried to make himself seem more aged and wise than he really was. Why is one of Brandon's preoccupations in this novel all about, um, like, 
people who are older or younger than they seem. <laughs> Why is this a thing we've seen with two different characters uh, at this point? <laughs> it's very weird. Yeah, the uh, the thing about his age is like this weird little bit of sort of interreligious competition where supposedly, um, like, uh, about 15 years ago, uh, so Wolfden, the current Wern of... Uh, uh, Shudereth. Um, mm. He became Wern, which is, you know, clearly that's the Shudereth Pope. <laughs> um, and uh, because Wern was like young and like tough and masculine, uh, literally, <clears throat> it was just after Wolfden became Wern and the leaders of Shukoreth felt threatened by his vigor. Um, so, so they decided that they needed like a young hot pope. <laughs> I guess that's right, Jude Law. <laughs> uh, and um, and so that's why Saint Alan was selected. Uh, I guess. I. <laughs> so I. I guess I don't know anything about monarchies. Or this isn't monarchy. Like, this religious organization is not monarchy, but there's this sort of chief executive chosen by, like, a small group of people, it sounds like. Um, Mm -hmm. I cannot imagine, like, if Canada elects Justin Trudeau and everybody's like, oh, look, he's, like, young and attractive... I cannot imagine the United States trying to be like, oh, we need a, like, tough and vigorous president to to combat Canada's, like, youthful, like, attractive president. I I cannot wrap my head around this logic at all, that we needed a twink pope to to combat the sort of, like, warrior pope that the Fjordell has. It does not make any fucking sense. It's very silly, um, and, uh, it, I mean, you know, I guess to give some slight credit, Serini thinks it's stupid, too. Um, yeah. But, like, yeah, it just, um, I mean, as with, it, it kind of reminds me of the way that, uh, Serini's marriage prospects have been discussed, where it seems as though the kind of personality and, like, personal qualities of, uh, of the people involved are being treated as, more significant than I would imagine they really would be in these matters of, like, uh, political office, you know? Mm. Um, Like, in the same way that the person that Serini marries is going to, like, become a prince, or, like, is going to, by marrying her, is going to take on, like, an important position in regard to the Teosh throne. Uh, Similarly, you know, the person who becomes a patriarch of... Shukorath is is going to have that important position. Um, But in this world, like, those are still decisions that might be made on the basis of, like, the person that Serini falls in love with, or the person who seems, like, young enough to... I don't know, it's it's very vague about... Because, like, (laughs) there are times in the real world where, like, people talk about... Uh, you know, you mentioned the idea of, like, American presidents. Um, mm-hmm. I, you know, there has absolutely been discussion during the last couple American elections of, like, 
wow, the, the people who are in like serious contention for president are all very old. And right. like, what does that mean for our country? And like, what would it mean if one of them died in office or something like that? And like, um, it's not like that has, it's not like there's zero practical reason to talk about something like that. Um, but that's not why it's like, it's not like they're saying mm-hmm. they decided to choose a young patriarch because they wanted someone who would be like, um, you know, energetic enough to take powerful action against the feudal invasion or that they right. wanted someone who would sit the seat of a patriarch for many decades to come and like have a sort of consistent leadership. It just seems like it's all about like image and personality. Right. <laughs> and, and a very sort of like, like a very reactionary sort of thing. And that like, um, Wolfden had just become, um, uh, Wern, and so they did this. And, like, um, yeah, just what if, what if, Wolf, like, instead of Wolfden, they had chose the, you know, Twink Wern? Or what if, um, what if there had been a Wern for, like, ten years at that point, who was probably going to be on the throne for ten more? Like, why... It just feels dumb. It just makes everybody involved sound dumb when they're choosing the Pope entirely based on um, the looks in contrast to the looks of the other Pope. (laughs) You know, it just makes this all sound. It makes everything sound poorly thought out. And I, I it probably on some level is intentional, but also makes me wonder, like, so with um. Serini's relationship to this religion being like not very well defined and now we are also seeing that like the organizational structure of the religion is like questionable at best like why does she why is she part of this religion <laughs> at all you know yeah yeah do you want to this is a uh, skipping ahead in the chapter over something else that i think is important we should talk about mm-hmm. but do you want to mm-hmm. go to the part where she's like actually praying yeah i was gonna say the same thing um because i was when um when you get to this moment um where it's like oh she's going to pray like brides are supposed to do right before the wedding i was like oh cool we will get some of Serini's relationship to her religion. And I still feel like, like the very first thing we get is she wasn't certain what to pray about. She considered herself religious, but not very devout. Um, and she fought for Teod and, um, the, the Teod state religion more than the religion itself. Um, like, I still feel like I don't actually know. I don't know what her relationship with Domai is, you know? Yeah. Yeah. Um, yeah, it's 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 frustrating. It feels like this scene of prayer actually kind of just relies on you filling in the blanks with uh, an understanding of, like, modern... Christianity. Yeah, for sure. Like one of the things that stands out to me is that she's thinking about um, 
like she thinks about uh the fact that she is about to get married to Royal as like oh Domi has answered my prayers for a husband um mm-hmm. and there's kind of this idea of like yeah that's there's this idea of that's what prayer is like you ask for things that you want in in life and then mysteriously those things may come to you through Domi's will, but not necessarily in the way that you expected or that you wanted, but you should understand those things as blessings when they come to you. And that, that is like, that is a pretty specific idea mm-hmm. of what prayer is and like what God does in the world. Um, yes. And in, in particular, it, it, to me, it really reflects the idea of like, um, providence, divine providence, um, which is, you know, the idea that basically that God has a plan for mm-hmm. the entire world, for like the entire universe, and that, you know, that that plan is, is divine and good and therefore sort of whatever happens in the world is as God wills it, and therefore as like a good religious person you should accept the things that happen um, and ex- and expect that whatever happens, um, yeah, you know, reflects God's will, reflects what is best. Um, and, you know, in some ways, uh, this is the idea that, quote unquote, God will provide. That's part of this idea. Um, and, you know, uh, I, I'm not, like, opposed to... Shukoreth having some ideas about God like that. Um, mm-hmm. But but it feels like this just takes for granted that that is what God is. Yes. And it feels like it... Like, if this was a... Um, if this was a, like if this was a Christian character in America in 2021, um, I would recognize this character pretty easily, both from like real life and other fiction, like this sort of person who um, like identifies as Christian, but like, this is not a huge part of her life. Like that is a, that is like a person in fiction and in, in life that is familiar to me. The, problem for me is that this is like a fantasy novel and um i don't go into fantasy novels assuming that religions are going to -to one-to-one reflect you know um, like christianity in the united states (laughs) yeah um and like and not just in the sense that like i want to see a different type of character but also just in the sense that like um it makes me feel like she just is kind of undercharacterized a lot of the time because the only way a lot of this functions is by bringing in um, my own understandings of like, you know, um, how a lot of Christians in the U.S. see divine providence and see like their theology. Like it only functions if I bring stuff that is not in the novel to it, you know? <laughs> Yeah, no, it's 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 very frustrating. I think it's bad world building, yeah, um, as well as uh, kind of uh, bad characterization. Yeah. Um. um. 
you also can't <laughs> um this is slightly off track and we can keep talking about the prayer scene too um you get as she's like thanking domai for um she's thanking domai for bringing her a husband even if royale is you know some like 30 40 years her senior um and you just get a quick aside about how several jindo kings were known to have taken brides as young as 12 years old hey why is that in this book i know <laughs> what it's is so the bad. purpose of this line <laughs> i hate it it sucks it's it's so unnecessary it is you know racist exotic exoticizing um mm-hmm. it's also like i mean like i'm not uh going to claim that no uh you know, Asian monarchy in the history of the world has ever practiced child marriage. Like, mm-hmm. of course, that has happened. But, like, state marriages between, like, adult men and young girls are are a hallmark of, like, mm-hmm. Western European medieval monarchies. Yes. Yes. <laughs> it, ha- it happens constantly in, like, you know fiction uh, and nonfiction about um you know sorts of like analogs for like european monarchies and i don't know why um these sort of people who are modeled after like real world asian east asian cultures we have to single them out other than it is just a racist assumption about east asian people <laughs> you know like it yeah. is just a racist aside that is put in the book for no fucking reason <laughs> yeah it's literally uh sereni being like well i'm not happy about the age gap in my marriage but at least it's not as bad as those jindos like come on mm-hmm. it <sighs> sucks it sucks i had to i had to like i was listening to the audiobook on my drive and i had to like pause it after that aside for like 30 seconds just to like roll my eyes and like take a breath and move on because it fucking sucks. I hate it. Yeah. Um, do you have more about this prayer scene or should we circle back to, um, should we circle back to Iodon's funeral? Let's go back to the funeral. <laughs> okay. So <laughs> a lot happens here. Yeah. Um, and I want to jump to like the, Big thing, but I'm just gonna, I'm skimming through the chapter literally as we're talking to see if there's anything before the big proclamation that I want to hit on. So if you have something here, like, please do. Yeah, no, I don't really think so. I mean, there's like, I I don't really think the details about like, how the funeral is conducted are all that interesting to me. Um, So let's just get to the big reveal. (laughs) Ten years ago, just after his ascension, King, King Iodon went to um the the Aralon Pope, basically. And uh no, no, no. Not the Aralon Pope. Sinolin. Right. Okay. Remind yeah, myself. I mean, so S- Sinolin, it seems like he lived at the court, the Teosh court, but he is the head of the he's the head of Shukorath, which means that, you know, he presumably also has some power in Aralon. Right. Because that right. is also a, a Karathi place. The thing, the thing that mixed me up for a minute was um, the asides earlier in the chapter about um, uh, Sereni being relieved that she wouldn't have to have Sinolin, um, uh do the wedding. Uh, and so it 
mixed me up for a second about which character was which here. That's all. Mm. Um, Sinolin is here to announce that in this letter that Eodon wrote 10 years ago, um, he, let me get, I'm going to, I'm just going to read this because it's pretty short and dumb (laughs) and it'll be just as quick to read it. Um, so he's supposed to read it either 15 years after the letter is written or at Eodon's funeral. Um, uh, Whichever comes first. Blah, 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 blah. I order that all titles of noble rank are to be frozen as they stand, to be handed down from generation to generation, father to son, as is commonly done in other nations. Let wealth no longer be the measure of a man's nobility. Those who have held to their rank this long have proven themselves worthy. The attached document is a codified list of inheritance laws uh, patterned after those in Teod. Let this document become the law of our country. So, in death, Eodon installs just a regular old monarchy instead of the stupid system he had before. And that's... It's really remarkable how Eodon is, from beyond the grave, coming up with new ways to create succession crises. (laughs) Yeah, it's um uh I I I think it is also interesting to read the way that Royal and Shudin interpret this because I think it's like very funny. Mm-hmm. Um, so that's what he was planning all along, Royal said softly. He knew <laughs> I know. He knew how unstable his system was. He intended it that way. He let them go at each other's throats just to see who would be strong enough or treacherous enough to survive. A good plan, if an unconscionable one, Shudin said. Perhaps we underestimated Eodon's craftiness. Uh, it's, so they are... They are basically saying that this means that the whole, like, whoever is richest becomes a noble thing was intended as, like, a form of competition to, like, weed out the weak and mm-hmm. uh, allow the strong to become the nobility. Um... But that it was never intended as a, you know, as a long-term system. Um, which, I mean, you know, because this is how things work in this book, I think we're meant to understand that that is true. But it's like, there's so many ways in which this doesn't make sense. Because it's like, that presumes that this sense of like, first of all, that that presumes that making sufficient money is like a reflector of some kind of ruthless merit. Yeah, is, some sort of strength of character or, um, like, you know, ability to lead and govern because you were, like, sufficiently treacherous, <laughs> you know? Yeah, so I, you know, uh, I think that is, uh, as you and I, communists, know, <laughs> that is not true. Like, markets do not, like, just straight up reflect, like, the personal qualities of the people who are interacting in them. But okay, no. set that aside because I think obviously this book thinks that's true. Um, that like the the cleverest backstabbers are going to rise to the top in a in a financial competition or whatever. Um, but then also he's not he is taking whatever that sort of competitive uh, you know idea is out of his system, and now he's making it an, an inheritance model and like. Okay, so Telri is going to stay a duke, and I guess that reflects some kind of uh, competitive 
skill on Tellry's part. But like, if Tellry's son is not skilled right. in that way, then it's just going to become the exact same system as every other country. Right. So like, if this is if this is meant to create like a strong like you know uh, competitive set of nobles where they've like weeded out the weak. Like, that's all going to be gone in one generation. Um, right. <laughs> it's it's literally, like... It. And, and if the idea is, is that, uh, well, actually, what he wanted all along was to create a stable system and, you know, inheritance, uh, uh, traditional patriarchal inheritance is understood to be stable, which, like, lol. But, uh... <laughs> But, you know, if that's the case, then why did he not want that from the beginning? Like, it it, it seems as though, like, what Iodon wanted to do was, like, kickstart a nobility with, like, a, a, you know, a competition, but then make it stable after that. But it, it just, uh, I don't know, it doesn't hang together to me as The plan. two, like, because to me, I hear this, and I'm like, oh, this is a dumb plan. Everybody in the book is going to say, what a dumb plan this is. And no, like, everybody's like, oh, well played, Iodon. You know, chess master Iodon. Um, when literally, like, the whole book has been about what a dumbass he is, and his, yeah. like, last gambit is a really dumb idea, and then everybody, everybody claps. <laughs> also... Know? I think it's very funny that this is treated as though, like, this 10-year-old proclamation is just absolutely going to function and become law and nobody's going to question it. Um, And, like, you know, uh, on some level, like, that kind of makes sense to me because he is confirming the people who are currently in power in their positions. So, like, you know, Tellery and Royal and everyone else who is currently a noble will will support this because it means that they get to keep their positions. Mm-hmm. Um, uh, but, you know, there's, like, presumably an entire power base of lesser nobles or, like, merchants who may have been hoping to make it into the noble class by making enough money. And all of those people have obvious reasons to oppose this decree. And, mm-hmm. like, uh, this is... This is a a change in policy that would obviously create conflict um, and, you know, produce a succession crisis, produce like a a myriad of succession crises all over the country. Um, And it's just sort of treated as like, well, it's law and it's signed with the old king and the pope's seals. So everyone's going to follow it. Right, right. And like. It. It's dumb because it's justified with, um, you know, nobody would, um, like, one of my first thoughts was, like, how do we know this isn't made up? Um, and, like, somebody's just like, oh, well, nobody would dare question, um, Sinolin, he's the Pope. And I'm like, okay, I guess that is a reality of this book. Um, and then, yeah, it is just taken as fact that, like, nobody... If this is what Sinolin says the law is now, nobody's going to go against that. Um, no one would dare follow Tellery if Tellery tried to usurp the throne. Um, but that doesn't make much sense to me because so much of the book has been about, like, um, 
Shukorath like losing hold over the uh people and the nobility of of Aralon. Like Yeah. It's literally what one of the characters' big things is, is like undermining Sinolin's power specifically. <laughs> and so like yeah. why why is it just why is it just a given that none of the nobility would be like Let's follow Wern, you know, like if, if Tellery thinks that Wern will put him on the throne, then sure, Tellery will do that. And probably some nobility would follow him as like the novel has established there is unrest. You know? Yeah. <laughs> like, yeah. I don't I don't get anything that's happening here. <laughs> I also think it's very like weird and interesting that like, OK, 10 years ago. Eodon's relationship to Shukorath was such that he wanted to use the patriarch of that religion as, you know, a guarantee on, like, an incredibly important proclamation. At some point in the past ten years, he turned to the Jaskari Mysteries. Uh, mm-hmm. But that seems to have no relationship to this. Like, yeah, it, it, like he didn't, it seems like, contact Sainalin and be like, actually destroy that missive uh, or destroy that um, proclamation. I'm not actually going to use it. And like, I'm not saying that like his decision to turn to the mysteries implies that he definitely wouldn't have wanted to make this specific political move, but Mm -hmm. it just, there is clearly a huge difference between the Eodon of 10 years ago and the Eodon who just died. But right. This book is not interested in that. And and Tellery could easily, I feel, say that. Tellery could be like, well, like, why are we following Eodon's authority? One, he's dead, and two, he didn't even believe in the sort of religious authority that he's now trying to wield as we go into this new system. Like, yeah, this, I, I, if I'm Tellery, I would just raise my hand and be like, no, fuck that. <laughs> like, yeah, I, yeah. <laughs> um... It's just, it feels, in this back half of the novel, it feels a lot like, it feels, it has felt a couple times like Brandon is just trying to shuffle ideas off that he got tired of. Um, Like, he got tired of writing Eodon, and so he just, like, you know basically like shuffled him off screen and is done with that. And he got tired of writing about the sort of jockeying for wealth. Uh, and so he is dispensed with that too. And, and it really like just makes the book dumb. It just makes it dumb. Yeah. Um, yeah. Um, I wonder, uh, I wonder if, if it's going to turn out that this, Proclamation actually came from Sainalan and not from Eodon. Um that would that would be a good interesting twist, maybe. Uh maybe, depending on how he pulls it off. But Yeah, um, it, it wouldn't necessarily be a great twist, but it, it feels at least possible. Um and uh like one thing is I think very obviously Sainalan has some kind of agenda. Um probably he's like untrustworthy. Uh but mm-hmm. I don't really know what that agenda might be. Um, mm-hmm. so I'm just kind of like throwing a guess out there. Yeah. I, the thing I was going to say that kind of ties in with what you were saying is just like that. I feel like that is on the table. And if it is, I wish it was kind of like 
foreshadowed a little bit in this chapter because um you get people saying like you get someone saying that um like oh maybe this is fake or something and you just get immediately reassured that everybody's going to follow what Sinolid says and you get immediately reassured that it's got the king's seal on it so it's got to be true and like i don't know if there if there's if there's a twist coming it feels like it's going to come not out of nowhere but i feel like it's not going to be signaled very well <laughs> as so many twists in this book are not signaled very well <laughs> yeah um can i bring up one like very minor detail yeah please do so there's a bunch of like little details about how royal arranged um Eodon's funeral and mm-hmm. how like his how he's like adapting teosh ceremonies and it's like kind of awkward and complicated because you know, everyone knows that Eodon was following this, like, other weird religion, and so burying him in, like, a Karathi way is kind of strange. Um, and also, Royal is, like, famously frugal, so he's, like, cut all these corners. Uh, and the thing about that that really stuck out to me and I thought was very funny is um, when they get to the actual burial, like, where they're, at, where they're actually going to put Eodon in the ground. At first, it looked like a large hole that had been excavated. But careful inspection would have shown it to be a natural depression in the earth that had been further deepened. Once again, Royal's frugality had been behind the choice. So Royal isn't even willing to pay (laughs) for the labor to actually (laughs) dig six feet under the ground. (laughs) He had to find, he had to find like a three foot hole that was already there. (laughs) I missed this. This is so dumb. It's so funny. <laughs> Especially like what an ass. <laughs> is Royal spending his personal money on this funeral? Like I can't imagine that like there's no provision for like Eodon's wealth to be spent on Eodon's funeral. Right. <laughs> it 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 feels in in some way like like even before this this funeral scene almost doesn't make sense unless Royal has takes the throne and then they do the funeral. You know? <laughs> like Yeah, and Because if Royal uh, takes the throne, then you can say, oh well it's the responsibility of the new king to bury the old king, and that's fine. But the there's so much in this chapter about how he's not gonna take the throne until after the funeral, you know? <laughs> yeah, yeah, and yeah, it's just uh, uh. What a dumb little detail. Yeah. Um, so should we talk about the big twist? Yeah. Uh, yeah, the even bigger <laughs> twist than like the, uh, than like the, the, the change to the law. Like, who gives a shit about that? Um, old news. Uh, fucking old news. Haraithan poisoned Serene. She's... <laughs> She thinks she's been taken by the Sheo. This fucking rules. Yeah. I guess we don't. I guess we don't know in this chapter that um, that she's been. Poisoned. We don't technically know until chapter thirty nine that Hraithan poisoned her. But come on, it's obvious. Um. Yeah, I'm very like. I think it's funny that there was no scene where like she ate with Hraithan. Um, <gasps> yeah, 
I mean, like, you know, I get it. Like, he, he had that, like, assassin guy. So clearly that guy slipped this poison into Serena's drink somehow, right? Mm-hmm. Um, so that was the foreshadowing for this. But um, with how obvious this book sometimes is, I'm surprised that we didn't literally have a scene of Serena drinking or eating anything. <laughs> right. It would have been... I would have lived for a scene where Hraithan was like, here, let me make like a, a gesturing, a gesture of goodwill between Fjordel and, um, you know, the new queen of Aralon and like hands her a drink, you know? Uh-huh. <laughs> yeah. Um, I knew something was coming because you get, um, even Hraithan was there. It was odd, Serene thought, thought that his face appeared so calm. Her wedding to Royale was going to be a major obstacle to his conversion plans. And as soon as I heard that, I was like, oh, some shit's about to happen in the next five sentences. Yeah. <laughs> like, some shit's about to go down. <laughs> and <Yes>. it does. <laughs> um, I, I think, you know, for all his faults in this book, I think Brandon sells the hell out of the moment of um, everybody in the court seeing her taken by the Sheod, um, like, I think everything just comes together really good here. Yeah, it's good. Um, it's like, I'm all, you go, you go. It's, it's, uh, you know, it's a little cheesy and also it rests on this, uh, culture having, uh, religious or, or religious wedding traditions that are identical to real world, like Western ones, which is, you know, boring. Uh, but <laughs> even though that's true, uh, having, like, the moment that her condition is revealed be when her, like, bridal veil is lifted. That's very dramatic. It's compelling. It's so good. <laughs> um, and it also, you know, um, I'm, I'm excited now to find out, because the obvious place to go he- from here is that, um, you know, Serini hanging out with Raiden, um, and I'm very excited to find out the new ways that Raiden comes up to lie to her about shit. Um, <laughs> because it's gonna happen. Because my my first thought was like, oh, cool, the next Raiden and Serene chapters are gonna be them hanging out. And now that she's been, quote unquote, taken by the Sheo, like, he's gonna, you know, tell her some secrets that he was maybe, like, withholding before. And then I was like, no, that's not what this book is. <laughs> <laughs> that's yeah. extremely not what this book is. Yeah, I would I would guess that um the two of them actually like Raiden actually revealing who he is and the two of them actually working together is something that happens like in part three. Like mm-hmm. maybe her learning his identity is like a big twist in like one of the last three chapters of part two or something like that. Yeah. Are we? Oh, we're still a ways away from part three. I wanted to double check. We're like midway through part two, it looks like. Yeah, yeah, we are. There's there's a ways left. And so I, I think uh, the book is going to continue to milk um, the Raiden's secret identity for a while yet. Yeah. Um, should we, should, should we, because this is all, this is, the Hraithan chapter is also very short and is part of the same scene. I'm just going to go ahead and read the Hraithan summary and then we can just, you know. Go for it. Um, Hraithan watches as Serene's wedding is canceled due to her transformation. He now has a five-day window of opportunity before Serene's temporary transformation wears off since Royal's wedding won't be official due to Serene's death and Tellery will be first in line for the throne because of this. 
Um, best part of this chapter is the very first sentence, uh, which is just Hraithan, um <laughs> upon seeing what has happened, declaring to the crowd, such are the judgments of the Holy Chadeth. I, I love Hraithan so much. He's yeah. such a jerk. Yeah, it's good. He loves making proclamations. He loves um, just being a king. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, it's good. Uh, I wonder, like, what Hraithan's plan is for when the potion wears off. Because, um, mm-hmm. like, he ha- he used his own uh, miraculous healing as this, like, springboard to be like, well, Jada healed me through a miracle. Um so he's got to, like, uh, convert Sereni in the next five days? <laughs> <laughs> I I was wondering about this, too, because um, in oh, the Raiden chapter... You go. Sorry. Well, the other thing he could do, I suppose, is have her, like, uh, assassinated for real. Like, if she's gone, then I guess he doesn't have to deal with that. That was my thought, because in the Raiden chapter, you get... Raiden and Galadon, like, kind of doubting what happened with Raiden. You get, like, oh, maybe Wern, like, you know, we didn't get a good look at this Raiden guy. Maybe Wern um, had somebody come collect him, you know? Yeah. Maybe he wasn't healed. Um, And so, like, yeah, I think... Probably Hraithan is going to be pretty determined to not have Serene heal from this, or you know, if if she does heal from it, um, you know, like pay off the guards to ignore her somehow, and so like just to ignore the fact that she gets her hair back and all these sorts of things. Does okay? Does Hraithan have his hair back at this point? Because it, uh. when your all your hair falls out, it's not like. When a poison wears off five days later, you would suddenly just get your long golden locks back. Not that Prathen had long golden locks, but um. <laughs> yeah, I uh, I assume that Prathen has like uh, yeah, actually, in like the last set of chapters, I think Prathen said something about like behold the stubble on my scalp uh, as like proof oh, okay. that proof that his hair was starting to grow back. So I think Krathen has like <laughs> kind of like a short buzz cut right now because like <laughs> all his hair is starting to grow back in, but but very short and like presumably all the same length. Um. But yeah, he clearly he has a plan because um, he also ends this chapter on the conquest of Aralod was almost complete, which is just good good stuff. I just love it. I love Krathen so much. <laughs> Um. Yeah. <sighs> Anything else for you? No, I think we've pretty much covered it. Um, yeah, that Hraithan chapter is very short. Uh, it's it's literally chapter very short. It's literally two pages in my ebook. Yeah, I'm. I've got a PDF in front of me, and I can fit it all on one page if I zoom out just a touch. So, um. Well, yeah, we will. Um. So. You, Nora, and I will need to figure this out because Nora and I are going on vacation mm-hmm. next week, and so we might be able to record next week. We might not be able to, but we will be back soon, whether that's a week or two weeks from now, with chapters 40, 41, and 42. In the meantime, where can people find you online, Mark? 
Uh, you can find me online at Char Asnablunt on Twitter. Um, and you can find my other podcast, Higgledy Piggledy Whale Statements, on the Abnormal Mapping Network uh, at abnormalmapping.com slash whale. Um, you can find me on Twitter at autumnal underscore coffee. And you can find my other podcast at exportodd.io. Um, one of the other podcasts you could listen to is Godzilla's Not Dead, which is a, you know, podcast that is exclusive for our $5 patrons on the Patreon, where Nora and I are going to be talking about Godzilla movies. Um, it's pretty similar to Export if you listen to, like, the mainline Export audio show, but um, it's different because it's going to be about Godzilla, so. <laughs> <laughs> um, that, that probably about does it for this week. Um uh thanks brandon <laughs> yeah thanks brandon 